0: Welcome back to Spin Rate. my name is Drew Fairservice and we are here talking about your Toronto Blue Jays It is spring training, sort of, nothing's really going on I don't know, what are we going to do? We're going to fill our time, uh, Caitlin and I, we're talking maybe about uh, doing some bubbly drink rankings Maybe talking about uh, spring weather No, there's obviously a lot to talk about and as I mentioned, I am so excited, as I am every week, to be joined by the Spin Rate co-host You read her on The Athletic, Caitlin McGrath, Caitlin Good evening, how are you?
1: Um, I'm well, drinking my pineapple bubbly.
0: Drinking your pineapple bubbly, fingers crossed that your computer's not going to melt down. I am drinking (laughs) a Raz Cranberry La Croix, or La Croix, depending on if you want to say it wrong or wronger. Uh, (laughs) But uh, we can save that for another day because there is so much to talk about. It has been a very busy week uh, here in Blue Jays land, which we jokingly refer to as the soup of the day. When we're talking about news and notes and noteworthy things and people getting injured or missing games. But there's been a whole litany of those things to talk about this week. If you do want to hear us talk about those and you want to hear us talk about whatever it is we talk about every single week, I cannot hi- recommend highly enough that you subscribe to the show. Subscribe to SpinRate wherever you get your podcasts. If you do it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Overcast or Stitcher or any of the other ones that I don't know the name of, go over there subscribe hit us with a like or a rating or a comment any of those good things they tell you that it, it helps the show out people love engagement the algorithms love that engagement keep it fresh tell us what you think especially if it's positive and uh, if you want to read and you want to be able to understand what's going on uh, and you want some context you want some insight also this is really like fantasy baseball season so if you want to read if you want to get prepped for your fantasy baseball team, you want to read what Caitlin and Eno Sayers cooked up about some three big stats for three big Blue Jays. You should go to theathletic.com slash spin rate and subscribe to the athletic for all of that good stuff. And there's so much more to read, to read about there. We're going to talk a little bit later on about Caitlin's one-on-one interview with Blue Jays president and CEO. Is that right? President. We talked, we, should, Caitlin talked with Mark Shapiro. So we're going to go through that a little bit. But before we do that, let us talk about, well, it was a bit of a rough week for Blue Jays fans. It was a rough week. I think it's a rough week for most people because if you're like me, you've been eating the mini eggs. And there's nothing that makes you feel more like laying down in front of a truck than eating like a handful of mini eggs. They are the, the worst, like the worst kind of mood destroyer. All that sugar, all that shit, eat some of those, and then I'm so sad. And then, here comes all kinds of Blue Jays news. I hope that Kirby Yates has many a mini-egg handy, because it does not appear as though Kirby Yates will ever, well, this season will suit up for the Blue Jays, uh, given the, the news that came out this week, he left a start or did he leave? Did he leave anyway? There was some talk about uh, some impingements or some soreness. And then it was revealed that he is going to be almost for sure going to need Tommy John and miss a season. I don't know. Caitlin, I butchered the nature of the injury, but yeah. uh, it doesn't really matter. He's not going to play this year.
1: <laughs> no. Um, yeah, it, it didn't seem to um, be apparent, um, at least not to us. I mean, we weren't there and I can't remember if this game that he pitched in, it was over the weekend, was on TV or not. I can't remember if it was the televised one, but um, Charlie Montoya told us that he didn't look his sharpest, but that was like the only little clue. And then I think it was like a day or two later that and I should say he didn't look his sharpest, but he still got like a scoreless inning, two strikeouts or something like that. So it was like one of those things where you thought it was just like, well, he's spring was only his second outing. Um, And so, yeah, a couple days later, we got a message from Blue Jays PR just saying that uh, he had uh, a flexor pronator strain um, and that he would be out multiple weeks. And, you know, I immediately um, wrote about that, wrote about, okay, what does this mean for the closer role? um, If he's going to be out for a few weeks and then the next day, uh, we had, uh, a video conference with Ross Atkins who told us, as you said, that Kirby Yates is most likely headed for Tommy John surgery, which will be his second Tommy John surgery, which I learned this week is called Tommy John revision when you have it for the second time.
0: Interesting. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, Ross said Tommy John revision surgery, and I, th- I wasn't exactly sure what that was, um.
0: I guess they're going to revise the ligament that they grafted and drilled yeah. into his elbow.
1: I guess it's how just how like, rough is that? Yeah. It's like revising the first Tommy John, which essentially mm-hmm. is just doing another Tommy John. So I, I guess I just wasn't sure if it was like, um, a full Tommy John or if it was just like, whatever, I don't know. It's, it's all these particulars, but anyway, I learned that this week. Um, so that is if Kirby Yates does have that surgery, which all signs point to the fact that he will have that, um, or else the blue jays probably wouldn't have come out and said it. Um, so that he'll probably miss the entire season. Um, typically it's like a 12-month recovery at minimum. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. guys can come back a little bit sooner, but really depending on and sometimes it takes even longer. Like Tim Mesa, although he had more than just Tommy John, he had another um uh tear in there, but uh it can take a long time, 12, 14, 16 months. So obviously terrible news for Kyrie Yates. I think that, um, the first thing you think of is you feel for him. You feel for the fact that obviously he was trying to come back from a a lost season. He's really only two years away from having the best season of his life. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's, it's tough out there to be a reliever. I mean, sometimes the, um, the runway for a, a really good reliever can be really short. Um, so we'll get more into this, but at least I think Ken wrote this in his story, but at least, um, he got five and a half million. I mean, he got that guarantee, right? So that's, mm-hmm.
0: it's unfortunate
1: that he won't be able to pitch. It's unfortunate that he won't be able to make more, um, but he got five and a half million. So, I mean, let's maybe like, let's unpack um, that situation, like beyond, before we get into maybe um, what does this mean for the Blue Jays? I wonder if you want to unpack a little bit or give me your thoughts on What you thought about the gamble the Blue Jays made because, um, you know, as Ken wrote in his story yesterday, obviously the Braves um, were interested in signing him. They backed off the deal when his physical raised some flags. Um, Kirby Yates went back to the Blue Jays, who he also had been engaging with, and they lowered the guarantee on the deal, but we're willing to give him five and a half million guarantee, knowing that there were some red flags in the physical. They were hoping that their gamble paid off. So like, what are your thoughts on, on that move?
0: It's absolutely the kind of gamble that's worth taking. Like it's the kind of gamble that a team like the blue Jays should take because the money is the money and whether or not it's insured or otherwise, I mean, you're it's, I'm not really concerned with that. It, 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 you know, as you said, it's, he gets it, you know, Kirby gets his money. It's a guaranteed contract. That's what they have in baseball. And, and, and the league is marginally better for it. And if you're the blue Jays, it's the opportunity to, to not only reap benefits beyond what you would pay out. So the marginal surplus value of signing a, a guy who could be a potential impact reliever for a, for a, quote-unquote bargain basement price but it's you you know going in that he could break down he could have he could break down in spring like he did he could break down in may he could break down in, in in august you know he a he's a pitcher b he's uh in his 30s and c he has he had this history and was coming off a down year that he missed lots of times during injury so the red flags are there but you if you're trying to win and you're trying to build a championship club and you're not gonna just throw, you know, innumerable dollars at who I don't I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head who was like the best reliever on the market, the kind of person who might have who might have got a multi-year deal with with big dollar signs as, attached to it. Um but it's the kind of gamble you have you the Blue Jays should be in the business of making and I don't begrudge anybody for it. It's unfortunate that it happened like this. It's unfortunate that that it happened uh, so early uh, maybe, or maybe it's not unfortunate. Maybe that's the, if ever, if ever it was going to happen at a time, uh, maybe this was it. Uh, you know, it doesn't, it, it, if you want to start pointing fingers and, and saying, well, if they hadn't signed him, they could have done this. Or the, I mean, that's a bit of a fool's errand in my mind. They, 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 they targeted a player that they knew could be an impact reliever. They knew that could be the guy at the, at the back of their bullpen. And they got him to put, to sign, they got him at a, at a, at a reasonable rate it's just, he got hurt. He's a pitcher. Kind of happens. And, uh, as, as Blue Jays fans saw with Ken Giles last year, it's always looming. It's always there in the background of any pitcher who is a power pitcher, who throws a lot, uh, throws hard, throws a lot of, uh, breaking pitches or otherwise. I mean, it's, he's a pitcher. It's, it's always there. It's a good, it's a good gamble, but it's just in that kind of next, next man up mentality when it comes to the, when it comes to the bullpen. And uh, and you, you have to figure that the thing we've talked about so much last week on the show, we've been talking about so much You know, every time I'm sure when you're on the radio or if I do radio hits, it's always the same thing. We talk about depth. The Blue Jays have been building depth. And this is the kind of thing that you hope that when you have that depth, you can take a risk like this and believe or hope that your team can then absorb it when it happens.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I would agree with everything you said there. And it sounded like um, When Ross Atkins was talking to us, I can't remember exactly what his quote was, but it was something along the lines of like, this just didn't work out for the Blue Jays this year. Like, and that was sort of the attitude is like, as you're saying, like it was a gamble. They knew they were getting... Into a situation that might not work out for them, they were hopeful that it would, and it didn't. And you can look at the you can look at the situation and say, well, they could have spent five and a half million elsewhere on a starting pitcher or um, you know another reliever or, or whatever it may be, another, corner, another any other player. But of course, that's easier to say now when we know how it worked out. Um, you know, you can't. It's it. So it was easier to look at a situation like this in hindsight and um of course know, so,
0: of course yeah. but just just like in hindsight if kirby yates was throwing his glove up in the air in october and and running out to embrace alejandro kirk in between the mound and the rubber or the, the mound and the plate that look g- deal looks genius mm-hmm. that's when that's when blue jays fans and people who host podcasts are running around being like look at your idiot gm never would have thought to sign kirby yates for five and a half million dollars that's like found money like it's just the nature of the game you know you, you take these risks and uh, sometimes they work out, and and sometimes those are the things that that can distinguish between uh, a championship season and a very good season or a, or a disappointing season. Is how many of these, you know, and I guess in in like in poker, you could consider it like a coin flip. Like if you get a, if you you can win a, a poker tournament by winning a bunch of these coin flip hands. Like oh, I've got queens and I got ace king. And sometimes you win with ace king, sometimes you lose with queens. Whatever, same sort of thing. There, there, you 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 have to live with the outcome, knowing that you you made the best move. And and you took a worthwhile gamble uh, to try to uh, to try to to make the club better and win a championship. So it's not going to work out this year for him. But uh, again, I think it's it's absolutely the kind of deal they should be in the, in the habit of making. Um, every team should. I mean, if you're the kind of team that would rather pocket this five and a half million dollars or save it for a rainy day down the road, I don't know. Your team's probably not going to win too many games. Uh, so who knows? But. It is, it does present some interesting opportunities at the back of the Blue Jays bullpen as it is, as well, while, while we've talked a lot about depth and a lot about fluidity, I think, and different roles and kind of making sure that good pitchers get to pitch in high leverage spots. Um, it did sound like Kirby Yates was going to be the kind of designated ninth inning guy. Were, were he healthy? So I wonder if that's going to hold true again, if it's going to be. Jordan Romano or somebody else is going to kind of be installed into that role or maybe it's going to, I don't know, do you get a sense that it's going to be more fluid and just kind of moving guys around and letting whoever's pitching well pitch when it matters most?
1: I think it's going to begin as um, a closer by committee sort of strategy. And we saw them do that last year when Ken Giles went down after the first game, I believe. Um, And um, in that situation, it was a little bit that, they had to do that because it was a scrambly season. It was 60 games. You know, you just had to go, go, go. And and um, at the time, um, like a guy like Jordan Romano, even Dolice were a little bit more unknown because like Jordan was so young. It was really going to be his first um opportunity at high leverage spots. Uh, Jolice was like coming back from Japan. So you didn't, they were both sort of unknowns and then they kind of emerged as guys that you could rely on late in innings. Um, but I think that even this year, even though it's happening in spring, I think you're still going to see the blue Jays, um, use that, um, you know, fluid ninth inning role, um, closer by committee, whatever you want to call it. I think that, Um, earlier this week, like I mentioned, when Kirby Yates was injured, I I wrote a piece fairly immediately just to look at sort of other closer candidates. I put Jordan Romano as sort of the favorite to take over that role. One, because I think he has the stuff to do it. He's got, you know, high nineties fastball, um, had a lot of success with it last season. He's got a really dangerous slider. Um, the sample size is so small last year. So it's, Hard to necessarily say with a lot of conviction that he is going to be a dominant closer, but certainly there's a hint that he has the qualities and the stuff to be a dominant closer. And in fact, just days before all this happened, we had Pete Walker on Peach and coach Pete Walker on a, a Zoom call, and he called Jordan Romano something like a closer in the making, something of that nature. So I think that I think that Jordan will be put in a position where if he is excelling in the closing opportunities and the save opportunities that are handed to him, then he certainly probably could get the closer role. Like I think he could win it over, but I think to start the season, they'll use multiple guys. I think it's a lot to put on Jordan Romano. Like I said, I think he pitched about 15 innings last year, Mm -hmm. really small sample The year before he didn't pitch very much either. And he was up and down that year. So he started to establish himself last year. Um, and like I said, he started to show that potential that he could be a ninth inning guy. And I should say that he does really embrace it. Like he when I say he um has the stuff, obviously the pitching stuff, but he has the sort of like quality that you sometimes look for in a closer, the fact that he embraces it, the fact that like he kind of likes the adrenaline and sort of like the nerves you get when you just go into a high stress, high leverage situation. Like he seems to sort of say he thrives on that. So that's, you know, a quality that you want in a guy that goes into like the most high leverage situations Mm -hmm. in a baseball game. Um, and I'll, I'll just add that some of the other guys that I think will get opportunities in that ninth inning role, Dolice, I think did it A fair number of times last year. I think he got about five saves last year and, um, he can do it. I mean, he was a closer in Japan. Uh, I think that he's a guy that, um, sometimes he drives fans a little crazy watching him because he tends to work a little bit slow. He throws a lot of balls in the dirt, but you know, he gets the job done. He was really effective last year. Uh, and then I'll just mention, um, David Phelps, really experienced guy, not necessarily closer type. He's more been like a sort of middle inning reliever, but he's been consistently, um, a a reliable guy in sort of like the seventh to eighth inning role. I think in in certain circumstances he could probably handle the ninth inning if they are like – if Jordan, Romano, and and andolis like needed the day off or whatever it may be. And then uh, outsider, maybe Tyler Chatwood. He's looked really good this spring. Um, He seems to be really liking that high-leverage role. So those are the four guys that I would say – we could see in closing opportunities. I should also add before I throw it back to you is that there's also the potential that the blue Jays go out there and trade for someone or sign someone, maybe not necessarily a closer, but they also could add another reliever even put for the trade deadline. I mean, we're coming up on um, when teams are going to start making some cuts. And so some guy like their blue Jays could sort of find a guy um, the team didn't want. They've done that in the past. I, I go back to, and the example of daniel hudson quite a bit when i talk about the blue jays sort of un, uh, unearthing a reliever um and he's a guy that blue jays found he was cut by the angels and he went on to become a really good closer with the nationals obviously like won the world series so that those are all like on the table of, of options that they could do uh,
0: you're absolutely right and and the daniel hudson is a good option a, a good uh note as a kind of uh, appendix to the to the Kirby Yates, uh, conversation as well, because this is Daniel Hudson, of course. I believe he had three Tommy Johns. Did three? he have two or he came back? He had back?
1: two for sure, because it was in Jeff Passan's book, right?
0: Right. And, but then he, of course, came back when, and, and he was great with the Blue Jays. And then again, talk about throwing a glove up in the air. He recorded the seventh out of the 2019, the final out of the 2019 World Series in game seven against the, uh, against the Dodgers, which, uh, you know, couldn't, you couldn't ask for a, for a better kind of storybook ending to that season for him. Uh, and again a guy with uh, a guy with good stuff and i think the thing with jordan romano where yes um the sample size is is small and if you want to look at his era and there are some uh, you know if, if you just take a quick look at say his fangraph's page you say oh okay so his strand rate was like 98 percent. you know the number of inherited runners that he that he uh the number of runners he inherited only two percent of them scored which is you know astronomically high uh and so he's going to allow more runs as some of that sort of normalizes. But the thing about Jordan Romano is he has the best stuff of anybody that's back there. And so the mentality thing is, is a nice cherry on top, but it doesn't really supplant the fact that he throws 98. And then he has like a 90 or 91 mile an hour slider. Like those, those are the things that make him a, a, a closing candidate first and foremost. If he's, if he's got the stomach for it and he has the thirst for that, for those high pressure situations, that's awesome. That only means that, that, that he or you hope that it can mean that he can continue to execute good pitches because he's not going to be all in his own head or, or or worried about whatever else. The thing for me for Jordan Romano and I think is the is the small sample concern is the can he throw strikes? Because this is something that something that he struggled with for a long time. Um, as a pro, I mean, this was Jordan Romano was in and out of the organization. Um, he couldn't throw strikes. And even if you go look back to 2019 when he was up and down, as you mentioned, on a yo-yo a bit uh, on the shuttle, um, he couldn't throw strikes and then was getting hit hard. He gave up a lot of home runs um, because while he does, you know, throw really, really hard, if you're behind in the count all the time and you're having a pump fastball and you can't locate that, then you're going to get yourself into trouble. But, but uh, Jordan Romano did not struggle with that last year as he just absolutely blew people away. So I think he's a great fit for the closer simply because he just throws really hard and has a really, you know, devastating, uh, devastating slider, which are, you know, kind of all of the, the earmarks, all the things that you want to see from a closer, someone who's going to go in there and get strikeouts. And then hopefully, uh, uh, again, throw strikes and not walk people. I think another, maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I've gotten getting out of, out over my skis a little bit here, but I think uh, another guy who's got really good stuff and maybe, if he's not going to be a multi-inning guy, maybe you see Ryan Baraki back there a little bit. Ryan Barucki
1: I knew you were going to say Ryan Baraki.
0: He throws hard as hell now. So uh-huh. when we were talking off the air, I am like a one-issue voter when it comes to basketball players, in which is like if you can't shoot, you're almost immediate. Even if you can shoot but you shot as unorthodox, I have a really hard time buying in. And I'm like that way with pitchers now. If you throw hard, I'm like you immediately have my attention. I'm a sap. I'm a stooge that way. And, and so while Ryan Baraki throws hard and has been throwing harder, it's not like a high spin fastball, I don't think. And, and, but it, it remains to be seen if he can really rack up the strikeouts that are required for someone who might be coming in and pitching in these high leverage situations with, with runners on. And, uh, and if, if you can, if you can count on him to be the ninth inning guy, but kind of love his stuff. I kind of would love to see if he pitches well and, 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 and like, um, like Romano, if he's able to, uh, to, to throw strikes and, and keep the ball in the ballpark um well uh, if you can do that then you're obviously you're automatically a good pitcher but i like ryan baracki stuff a lot i think it, it could be cool to see him maybe move into that role if of course jordan jordan romano is not quite up to the task because uh I, i'm a sucker i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a, a velo whore i'm just a i'm a i'm a I'm a pig for the kilometers per hour so uh yeah but, but uh, yeah, I, I think that, that in Romano, they got a guy with great stuff, a guy who wants to do the job and a guy who, who was great last year. If he can continue to execute and continue to not put guys on, uh, for free, um, he'll be, uh, he'll fill in admirably in that role.
1: Go Markham. Markham represent Jordan Stand Romano. Up.
0: Stand up. <laughs> North of Steels. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 you know, David Phelps is, is, is one of those guys too. The, which again, we talk about depth where there are maybe multiple guys that could step in and do this role. And, and even, you know, the, the Julian Mary maybe not Julian rather, but you know, anybody who's got a big <laughs> fastball, anybody who can, who can, who can strike people out. I'm, I'm yeah. there, I'm there and I, I'm ready to, to, uh, to give him a shot, but hopefully uh it, Romano doesn't ever flag. And, and if there are, um, if there are trades in the in the offing, if there are you know the kind of the more veteran guys, maybe someone who makes a bit too much money for uh, for the club they're on right now, maybe you know someone. I I think what's his name, Jose Leclerc. Uh, he was hurt uh, earlier in the spring, but it, for the Rangers, um, they're god awful and probably might need to offload some some assets. So guys like that uh, that could be uh, could be out there, or a team maybe even like the Cubs. Right, they they did some they re Pedro Straub, for example, and say if Pedro Strap play is is good, but the Cubs are not, maybe if they start to sell some things off, that's the kind of guy that you can see the Blue Jays go after as well. So, But that's what it does in the bullpen, right? It's just kind of that next man up. And that's why, you know, for the longest time, we have had a different sense of value when it comes to relievers, because you're not going from, you, you know, the upgrade from the eighth inning guy to the ninth inning guy isn't as great as it is from like the fifth starter to the eighth starter or whatever we got more on the blue jays on spin rate right after this note from our sponsors so maybe a less serious injury but one that's noteworthy all the same is uh george springer his name showed up on the blue jays injury ledger with i believe what did they say a grade two uh oblique strain does that yep. I sound right that's correct so he is maybe in doubt for opening day
1: I would say so. I think it's fair to say he's hopeful but questionable kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um the it, it, it's a little strange. Like oblique injuries happen all the time across baseball. They're probably one of the more common like non-arm injuries in baseball, mm-hmm. I would think. Um they happen a lot for hitters and they tend to really at least in my sort of anecdotal um view of them um they s- seem to sort of widely vary in terms of recovery time like some guys can come back from them fairly quickly I may be rem- misremembering this but I want to say that T Oscar Hernandez had an oblique strain last season and it was um mid-season or something like that and um he ended up not missing that much time. Like I think he really only missed about the minimum 10 days or, or something about around that. And it, mm-hmm. and, it, and I just kind of, I remember it just because um I thought at the time, like, Oh, oblique, you never really know what to expect with oblique. Like sometimes it can drag on a little bit. I'm forgetting, but there's certainly been other guys where the, the oblique just.
0: Yeah. Went definitely on definitely feels and on like and on, right? one of those soft tissue injuries yeah. that is like really hard to pin down. And it's nice that they, are able to grade it for us to say that, yeah. that George Springer has a grade two oblique strain, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything more to me than like, Oh, this could be anything from a week to seven, you yeah. know, because it, because it's, it's, you know, we can hunt for anecdotes and hopefully dig up the ones that we like. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, you, you have to assume that a it's spring training and, and it's early. So there, the clubs are operating with a, with the utmost caution out, out of a, what's the thing that we hear out of, out of a,
1: an abundance of caution, out
0: of abundance of caution, the, which is like the Kevin thing. Like Kevin Biggio didn't play right. out of abundance of caution. You know, if it was the world, if it was a playoffs, Kevin Biggio would be in there. If it was the playoffs, maybe George Springer would be in there, but why risk the, you know, the chance of, of re-injury of aggravation of, se- of, increasing the severity. So take your time. It sucks that if, that if George Springer isn't able to be on the field on opening day, but the season is 162 games long. If he misses the first two and plays the next 160, it would be a successful year.
1: Yeah, I think I think what I was trying to say before, and then I got sidetracked, but it just is one of those things where it was like an injury in grade two, which is sort of like moderate, but the way that the Blue Jays were sort of talking about it and describing Springer's symptoms and essentially saying that he's been playing with this injury for a while, um, and he didn't, he, nobody noticed, like he was playing fine. And the way that Ross Atkins kind of described it is that he has this grade two strain. That's, this is what showed up on the MRI, but his symptoms, what he was feeling was not, and was not completely severe. Like, I, I guess his range of motion, his rotational movement um, wasn't severely sort of impacted. Um, I think the word that Ross used was like, they're, ex- you know, extremely or incredibly encouraged or something like that about the fact that, even though the MRI is telling them
0: <laughs> this. injury is great. I'm glad he's hurt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Even though the MRI says this, he's feeling this. And so they're trying to sort of marry those two things, like, you know, to figure out how much time he'll miss. So I am going to be the skeptic here and say that I think that he'll probably miss a few games to start the season. Um, but it doesn't sound like it'll be a long injury. And actually, um, colleague um, Ben Nicholson-Smith, I think, tweeted something that reminded me that if he was to go in the aisle to start the season, I think the Blue Jays could backdate it to mm. March 29th. So he would end up um, not having to have full, full 10, 10 days. days of the season. Yeah. Co-
0: colleague Ben Nicholson-Smith, is there something you know, you know that I don't know?
1: No, I I mean, sometimes we say on the beat that they're our colleagues because oh. we all work on the beat together. No, he's 100% sports net. I don't well, have Benny any Fresh breaking news. Benny Fresh
0: our, our sworn enemy. Benny and Arden are uh, the hosts of At the Letters. <laughs> Never have I had a stronger, more burning hatred for anyone. Actually, that's not true. Ben, Nichols, but both ben and Arden are like the sweetest guys. I used to see Ben. Ben lived in the West End of, the, of Toronto. I would see him all the time around uh, my favorite coffee shop. Shout out to Coffee Tree at, uh, at Bloor & Jane. Benny Fresh lives around there. If you're in the hood, I'm putting Ben's information out there. We shouldn't be telling there.
1: people where Ben lives. I don't know
0: exactly where he lives. <laughs> he lives in Toronto. There's not that many people. You see Benny Fresh, you know. Uh, anyway, Ben's awesome. And uh, your Ben's colleague, great. Your colleague, ben. Your colleague and mine. Subscribe to, <laughs> subscribe to at, the, at the letters if you don't already. They, they do their show on YouTube. Hint, hint, Ben's, nudge, nudge.
1: Ben's all our colleagues colleague
0: we are all ben i remember ben from the back in the mlb trade rumors days he came and guested with us on the getting blank show speaking of youtube benny fresh came and sat in year back in the day back in
1: there
0: you go we've been at this for a long time you know who's been at this for a long time robbie ray and you know what else what kind of injury robbie ray's had he's had some injuries before not the kind of injury that he had this week when he fell down carrying a baby you hate to see it reports suggest the baby is fine but Robbie Ray is going to miss a spring start. This is maybe uh, an abundance of caution. Uh, also, something that's a, uh, that is a unfortunate slash freakish injury. Um, Robbie Ray, carry that baby in your right arm, my guy. Uh, you, or, or maybe not. Actually, no. Keep with the baby in the left. I don't know. Just do what you did. The baby's fine. That's the most important thing. And yeah. the other thing is that Robbie Ray will probably be fine in time to make a start in the first week of the season. I would be shocked if that was not the case.
1: Yeah, this one, if we're going to tear the injuries, which we kind of have in the way that we've talked about them, mm-hmm. I would say that Robbie Rays is the least severe. It It does seem like just being overly cautious, let him throw a bullpen, see how he feels and skip a spring start. He was like the most built up anyway. He was at Mm -hmm. like 70 pitches already so he's probably fine. I think I mentioned if the Blue Jays were interested maybe he doesn't pitch in that first series in New York. Maybe you save him for Texas in the second series he gets an extra day days of rest on the arm Um, but yeah that was just one of those freak incidents. Obviously everyone's okay. That's the most important part with that Um, but yeah I mean Bad timing for him just because he was really rolling this spring, was hmm. having such a good um, start to his year. So, you know, hopefully it doesn't impact. I don't
0: know. It's a real rookie of the year situation for Robbie Ray. He was, he had fallen down in the winter. Nobody, nobody knew. And he like damaged some ligaments and he was throwing only strikes, but now he's fallen <laughs> again and his ligaments are going to be readjusted. So he's not going to be able to throw strikes. Got. What a terrible, terrible tale of woe from Robbie Ray. No, again, the most important thing for me is that the baby's all right. They didn't fall on the baby. And No, and apparently another-
1: that's, he was bracing himself, which is why the elbow took like the brunt of the impact, I think, because of the way he was holding the baby and everyone's okay in this situation. Falling down scar- stairs is scary, man. I do not like walking down steep stairs and I don't <laughs> like walking down unfamiliar stairs, like this is
0: one day you can be a- president of the United States. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, falling with babies is scary. My, my dad has a great story. He, not a great, it's not a great story. It's a fucking terrible story. He was holding me one time when I, when I was a baby and he had me with one arm and he was reaching out to like get the mail. Remember the mail used to come to your mailbox, like right to your door. So he was out on the, on the patio, like the concrete pot patio outside of the front door and he was reaching for the mail, and I was in his arm, and I, like, toppled forward, like, out of his arms as he's reaching for the mail. And he, like, whoosh, like swooped and grabbed me by the ankle. I was <laughs> dangling, like, inches above the concrete. There would have been smooshed baby brains all over oh. the front of some house in pickering. Uh, but I'm sure that my dad had uh, did not tell that story to all members of the family for quite a while, until everyone could laugh about it like we can now. As opposed to yeah. the story of the very tall man from Pickering who killed his baby. <laughs> Speaking of killed babies and freak injuries, Nate Pearson threw a bullpen. I don't know. That's that's positive news about Nate Pearson, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, not actually, I'm not sure that he threw the bullpen. Yeah, he, he was going, a, going to. to throw a bullpen. Maybe by now he has. I'm not sure.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: when maybe certainly, if you're listening to this days later, he probably has. So. You're just thinking ahead to those listeners that get to us on their weekend runs and such. So. I'm a
0: podcasting professional. This this podcast exists out of time. Whenever it is <laughs> that you're listening to it right now it is right now. It is the freshest and the newest evergreen content. Spin rate theathletic.com/slash spin rate. Uh,
1: uh, yeah. So yeah, Pearson mm-hmm. throwing. Um, they said that he's again feeling good physically, mentally. Uh, obviously, he's not going to be ready for the season. I think one thing that we sort of wondered about is like if he wasn't ready for the season, but he could throw like two or three innings with the Blue Jays, like take him on the opening day roster, put him in the bullpen or something. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think they just want him to be a starter this year. If he's going to miss the first like couple weeks of the season, it's not really a big deal. They have, we talked about this earlier, but like they have a lot of depth. They have a guy that can. In Ross Stripling, who can just step into that starting role? They have plenty of other guys that could also step into the starting role. So you know, just let Nate get built up and and bring him in, and don't like don't confuse him. Don't like start him in the bullpen and and then make him you know go to a starting role and all that kind of stuff. So we we won't see Nate to start the year, but yeah, I obviously the Blue Jays learned their lesson. I think from the last bullpen where he like reaggravated it. They sort of are mindful of the fact that okay, like maybe we need to watch this. Um, the way he's moving or the way he like what whatever is happening with this groin strain, um, whatever re aggravated it, obviously don't do that again. So they're kind of also thinking of like ways in which to be mindful of that injury. Um, and probably all injuries with Nate Pearson, we've talked about that before. So, you know, look how, how he's moving his body, all this kind of stuff. So that's something. And then another bit of good news, um, was Thomas Hatch, who we talked about last week. It was mm-hmm. still kind of unknown what was going on with him and his arm. The good news is that everything seems to point to that. It is just inflammation in in the elbow area. He was just feeling discomfort or tightness or whatever it may be, but Jays have had thorough looks at it. It doesn't um, seem to be serious. They don't think he'll miss significant time. Um, and so obviously if he had – that's assuming he doesn't have any setbacks or anything, but assuming it's smooth sailing from here, he shouldn't really miss that much time. He'll be a little bit behind now at this point, but I think that he was probably not going to make the roster anyway. And I think he was probably going to be reserved as starting depth and start the season in that alternate site. So I think he still will be on that path and just be built up there. And then in a few weeks time or a month or so, or whatever it is, then he could be looked at as starting depth.
0: And that depth is is so valuable, and I think we're seeing that now again. As you said, that that while it's so easy to just say, "Oh, I wish they had signed Jake Guadarizzi or somebody else to who is more of a known commodity," there is a lot of depth. And and when the news, the injury news comes back uh, about Thomas Hatch in particular um, as positive, that's encouraging, right? You got Thomas Hatch coming back; that's a positive. Simeon Woods Richardson put uh, pitched really really. Is it Simeon Wood or Simeon Woods? I don't want to uh, get his name wrong.
1: Simeon Woods Richardson. Woods
0: Richardson pitched really, really well again today. Uh, you know, Alec Manoa got sent, you know, to the alternate site or like away from main camp, but, but you have guys that can step in and do these jobs. So you don't need to force the issue with Thomas Hatch. You don't. And, and the biggest thing and, and I, it, I don't understand it in a way like, Oh, well, can we just make Nate Pearson into a reliever? Like what's the rush to make Nate Pearson a reliever? When you can do the things that he can do, let him fail as a starter before you move him off of that. Because even in the game today, which is changing and evolving and the, the idea, oh, he's going to make 35 starts and pitch 220 innings for, for us. Like that's out the window that, that, the, that ship sailed. Like that's just not the way the game is played now. But that doesn't mean that you need to, you need to, to ghettoize him into some kind of reliever role. Because he is capable of doing so much more and being such a more valuable contributor to a, to a team that's trying to win. So let him start. Let him figure out if he can keep his body healthy, if he can get, turn a lineup over all the things that are incumbent upon a starter until he demonstrates, until it's proven that either the workload or the job is too much for him, you know, then, then, find a new role for him him. and that you know the the last season was different last season the blue jays were trying to sneak into the playoffs and it was a little you know the end of the year sort of thing but it's march and then it's going to be april and may and those games don't mean fucking anything so just let him like either fail or grow into it or or let it be abundantly clear that he's not up or it's the this isn't a job that he is going to be able to do I don't think you can say that at this point. That would be crazy to say, to say at this point, you can say he gets hurt a lot, even though the injuries are freakish and soft nature and all the things that you and I talked about uh, previously, but there's no way to say he can't be a starter or there's no, I don't think there's any reason to be like, well, let's move him in and, and give him, let him, let him get two innings or three innings here. And then maybe we'll send him back to Buffalo to get stretched out and then bring him back up. Just take your time. You've got, you've built this depth up for a reason. You've, 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 You've accumulated these assets, these Thomas Hatches and these <clears throat> young players and the Chatwoods and the Striplings and all these other guys. That's the reason that you that you do to insulate Nate Pearson from having to be forced into some kind of goofy role and just let him be a starter until he shows you that he either can't or shows you that he's really fucking good at it and now you're ahead of the game. So it's crazy to me that, that this is something that it gets floated around so easily and people love to throw Aaron Sanchez's name out there which is uh, not fair at all. Nate Pearson's got so much more to offer as a pitcher than than, than Aaron Sanchez does in my mind. Um, and, and, Nate Pier- and even that, Aaron Sanchez was like a good slash serviceable starter for a long time. He had like 30 decent games as a reliever one year, and everyone just couldn't get that out of their mind. They forget how good he was in 2016, apparently, as a starter. So let Nate Pearson start if he gets hurt. Well, then you have to start to think, okay, is he getting hurt because we're asking him to do too much? Or maybe it's a, it's a matter of his workload. And I know that he does a lot of stuff with, uh, with Dr. Mike's son and all of the, the sports lab folks. He's really attuned to, uh, to training, uh, and, and, and hopefully that that's not what's causing the injuries. Hopefully he's not overworking or working inefficiently, whatever. I have my doubts. Sometimes people just get hit with, with comebackers and sometimes they just strain their grain, strain their grain. <laughs> strain their groin and whatever (laughs) so anyway let Nate Pearson start let him start in the alternate site let him stay in the complex extended spring whatever it is let him hit the ground be like here take the ball every five days and then in June or July you can be like okay now this either is working or it's not That's my big speech
1: (laughs) yeah I have nothing to add I agree
0: (laughs) get out of the way um you know what what you know we should do we should take a break you and me and everybody We'll take a break. We will not talk about dead babies anymore. We're gonna come back. Thank we're, con- you. we're gonna Yeah, you were done. You, you weren't into that conversation so much. We'll talk <laughs> about the boss, Mark Shapiro, who you uh I would love to say you sat with him, but I think you zoomed with him. You 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 shared screen time with him. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about what Mark Shapiro had to say. And So much more, including maybe we'll take a look at the, maybe make some roster guesses, as uh, I believe you are in the roster projection business as well. Always. So so let's talk about Ross and Ross. Ross Atkins is the GM. Mark Shapiro is his boss. Let's talk about the boss. Talk about the roster. After this, when we come back with more Spin Rate. We'll be coming back with more Spin Rate in just a second. But first, check this out. All right. Mark Shapiro, lovely man. Tell us what's before we get started. Before we get into the nitty gritty and the things that he said, mm-hmm. what was it like when you, were, when you were talking? Was it chill? You guys are cool. You had a nice chat. Was, did he have like a cat crawling through a window and in, in, in his, as his as his backdrop? Did he, did he blur his background? What's the deal here?
1: No, it was just a regular. Um, zoom setting. He was, I believe he was in his office in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess he was probably at the new player complex. Cause I think that's where their offices are situated now. Um, and I mean, we've, he's done some zooms from there this spring already, I believe. So it was somewhat of a familiar setting. I've talked to Mark a few times, um, like one-on-one
0: you can't see this on the radio or the podcast, but I'm gesturing to the wall behind me. Do they have any kind of, any kind of wacky shit on the walls? Any like slogans and whiteboards and all that kind of stuff? People got to know.
1: No, I don't recall anything. <laughs> no. I know like I know sometimes it, when he's done zooms in his Toronto office mm-hmm. that you can see the whiteboard, but I didn't recognize um anything behind him. I wasn't It was a different angle. Um mm, fair I was enough. also sort of honed in on my hard-hitting question so i was really Which focused. i
0: understand as was i <laughs> when i was in his office when i interviewed him on the old show a couple of years ago but i could not take my eyes off the whiteboard because it was haunting
1: yeah that's but the tron office he yeah, probably yeah. has one in the dunedin based mm-hmm. office too i just wasn't in view i couldn't see it um uh,
0: actually i had it pop up one of those you know your phone will be like hey remember this and it sh- sh- shoots you a photo and so our, our old producer at the time he took a photo of, of Stoughton and Marsh Power and I, and we were standing in front of the whiteboard and on the whiteboard in big letters was get better every day, which is the thing that you see all over, uh, the complex in Blue Jay's font. It's something that is obviously like a mm-hmm. mantra, something that he takes very seriously. And it seems to be something of like an ethos that is permeating the organization such that it is plastered in big, big letters, um, all over in, in the photos that, uh, that came out of that. So. What did you and Mark Shapiro talk about? You talked about all kinds of things. what was was there one thing that that was that's like when I say what was the first thing that comes to mind was there what's what's the the big kind of high level takeaway or something that really struck you when you were speaking with him?
1: Um, I think the sort of like major takeaway, I think, just because it's the most sort of newsy was the optimism around um a return to Toronto and also the fact that players are going to be vaccinated fairly soon, I, within the next couple of weeks. I think um, at the time that I interviewed him, which was uh, late last week, um, he said, you know, two to three to potentially a month um, away from being vaccinated. So it's it's coming up soon. Um, and I, I don't think that that is necessarily like breaking news, just because we all have been watching the news and we know the rate of vaccinations happening in the United States. There's a lot of states that are at a point now, where they're saying um, all adults are starting to be eligible. And the United States has said by May 1st, um, all adults will be able to register for a vaccine. So I think it sort of lines up to what the timeline is down south. Um, obviously, they're a little bit ahead of Canada. So that was a bit of an, uh, a newsy element to it, just kind of, I guess, confirming or, or hearing it from him. That was the first time that we heard from him, or first time I heard from him. Um, just a little bit more confirmation of like the vaccines are sort of like coming relatively soon. And then there was just an added layer to that, which is sort of the optimism that, that offered him to, uh, to return to Toronto at some point this summer. So he basically said to me that they have, they feel like they have enough um, good evidence. Um, For example, you know, if their players are vaccinated, if they can show that the fact that they have, Now completed um, an entire shortened 60 game season and um, to the point to this point, uh, a spring training without having a single case on their team. So um, those are two elements um, where they feel like they can sort of prove that they, their team has been responsible, have been following protocols, have been very, very safe. Um, and so I'm sure that there's a lot of other elements that go into this application. But basically Mark told me, and you can read the interview um, for yourself if you haven't yet up at The Athletic, but basically Mark just said that, you know, in in the coming weeks, they'll feel comfortable to start that, proce- that formal process again of um, asking the Canadian government to return to Canada. And it wouldn't, it won't be immediately. I asked him, sort of specifically, like July first. Do you circle that as a potential date? Um, because that is, as we know, that is the date that I have hoped you be,
0: for. You've been betting. You, you you're on the you're you're putting futures bets. When are they going to play the first game? You got yeah. You're heavily so, invested in this.
1: But I didn't ask because of that. I asked because
0: <laughs> <laughs> because it's Canada Day.
1: No, because I think um, John Tory said something like all public major events are canceled until July 1st. Mm-hmm. And I heard and I think that so I had, I asked sort of with that in mind. But it does seem to be sort of a date where you're you're looking at a time when there's hope that Canada will be um, completing um, mm-hmm. their vaccinations, too, if they can get it done by the end of June. Um, but he basically said to me that there's no specific target date, like they're not. Maybe he has one in his mind, but he wasn't Mm going to put it on record. Mm -hmm. So I think that their season will still probably involve a combination of Dunedin, Buffalo, and then hopefully Toronto. Because essentially they're going to play in Dunedin. We know they're going to play their first two home stands. They're probably going to play longer than they've publicly announced, um, which we all could have assumed. But then, as you run up to basically like early June, it's gonna the weather is gonna force them out of Florida essentially. So, at that point, the team would probably consider a move from Dunedin, and I think that I think that unless things drastically change, I think June is too early to come back to Toronto. I don't I don't think they'll have a chance. So I think they'll go to Buffalo. Um, they've obviously also been like renovating um, Salem Field in Buffalo, upgrading it. Um, so. I think that that is still the likely scenario for the blue Jays. Mm-hmm. So it's not it entirely different from what we knew or what we all could have guessed. I think most of us were thinking it was back to Buffalo at some point. And then there's just like hope that they'll get back to Toronto. So I would say those were the sort of the newsy elements, um, to the chat with him that got a lot of attention, um, initially. Um, but there was a lot of other elements of the interview where we just touched on the state of the team, some players, um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Like Drew, did you read it? Is there something a specific point that he made that you want to <laughs> talk about, or I could just keep talking about every, all the other questions I asked him.
0: No, I I, I think it is interesting uh, that he is expressing that that optimism that he expressed that optim- optimism in, in your story that I obviously read uh, <laughs> um, because you, it's, tweeted,
1: you retweeted it. I noticed that, so I assume
0: I, and Twitter I was like you hey, did, a blind did you read retweet. This?
1: That'd be That'd be a high.
0: No, I pulled it up on the, on the app, on the athletic <laughs> app and I read it and I read the Eno thing as well. Um, uh, the optimism around, around the vaccination, it, it, it's so interesting to, to, to think about the, you know, there's a lot of talk about the third wave coming here in Ontario and, um, where different, what kind of stages of, of lockdown or what color code there is going to be across Ontario. Are, are places going to be in red? Are they going to be in green? And as the weather improves and that it becomes less likely to be cold season and where the kind of calculus, the public health calculus for what percentage of the people are going to be vaccinated sort of is, is really interesting to me because it's so complex, especially with the Canadian government's decision to like push the second dose out to four months because july 1st is a great and optimistic date but at that point so at that point a lot of folks in canada like a significant percentage will probably have had their first dose but an equally significant percentage won't be fully vaccinated you know people who are getting vaccinated now won't be getting their second dose if they stick with this four month thing until july so the folk the you know the the Moderna and the AstraZeneca and whichever um other um Pfizer vaccines are out there. I don't know if we have Pfizer even in Canada, but like you um you won't they won't be having their second dose. So there will still need to be um uh uh care and control exhibited over public gatherings because the biggest challenge with that, and, and especially when the weather starts to get better and if things start start to open up, that people are gonna maybe flake on their second dose or, or not show up or you know just making sure that you're still making the headway from a public health perspective into getting the public vaccinated and i think it's great that the blue jays are going to be vaccinated it's good for the players uh hopefully it'll be interesting if they all get vaccinated at once if they're all like my arm is sore i need to lie <laughs> down because uh, those are not uncommon side effects from from being vaccinated um if they have to cobble together a A lineup out of guys who are not feeling the 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 sore throat slash sore arm or whatever else general malaise uh but yeah it's a really interesting it's a really interesting part um as the one thing I would say um the thing that I'm always attracted to is is the because of my own personal like where the the perspective that I come from is what are they saying about Vladimir Guerrero jr right it's like there's always there there's so much um optimism and and I think that the optimism at first was sort of the beginning of spring. The tone was very much like, we're really encouraged by what he's shown over the off season. We're really encouraged by what the shape he's in right now. But now after, you know, however many weeks of spring training and he's run around with a 1400 OPS, which obviously doesn't mean anything, but it's like, he struck out twice in 35 plate appearances. He has, you know, he doesn't swing and miss. He is hitting the ball in the air. Like it's, it, it, it while a guy like Shapiro is still going to be a little bit kind of guarded in his terms, maybe they're starting to open up or, or, or just kind of be really like, well, we always knew this is the kind of player he's going to be. And we're, we're hopeful that he's on his way to being that.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that I'm trying to remember exactly what we talked about with Vlad. Um, I think I, I I think the Mark's point with Vlad was a lot about, We forget how young he was and we forget the sort of pressure Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. he inherited when he came up in 2019. And I think Mark said something along the lines of, in a lot of ways, it was unfair to put that amount of pressure on him. And he didn't ask for it. Like Vlad, he was just labeled um, this, you know, um, superstar phenom prospect He was labeled it because he performed at the minor league level. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think that he asked, wanted all the attention that he got. Obviously, some of that happened also because of his last name. Like, that was a factor in it. But a a lot of it was also talking about, as you kind of alluded to there, just how impressed they were, how happy they are to see him performing. And I think he kind of, like, rounded out his comment by just saying – that they still expect him to be a superstar. Like they their support of him has not wavered at all. They, and Mark especially comes to all these, um, all this with a pretty deep player development background. That's one of his passions, obviously like he built this whole complex for them because he's so passionate about player development. He, you know, that's what he did a lot in the Cleveland organization, especially to start with. So he comes at it with that sort of lens. Um, mm-hmm. And so he knows that things take time. And we, another topic that was kind of related to this is we talked about pictures too. And just like, he was telling me that, especially with a guy like Nate, but other names as well, like Alec Manoa, people are asking him, when's Alec Manoa going to come up? When's Alec Manoa going to come up? And it's like, his point is that like, Hey, when he comes up, he's probably not going to be this like elite pitcher immediately. Like that just doesn't happen with major league pitchers. Like you have to be extremely patient with pitchers, especially, but even all prospects, you have to be patient. Like it's probably more common that they come around slowly than they immediately hit the way like somebody like Bo Bichette came in and, and immediately hit everything. That is probably more rare than a prospect coming up and struggling a little bit the way that Vlad did and having to learn the ropes of the major league. So, I mean, like, I think the, the comment on Vlad was just like, they understood what he went through the last few years. They understood that it was difficult. They had, they understood that there was a lot of pressure on him. And because of all that, they're extremely happy to see him performing how he is this spring. And they completely believe that he could Break out this year um he could be a superstar this year it could happen next year um i think sort of like main takeaway from that answer for me was just that they sort of knew all along that it might not happen and they never panicked about vlad like i think a lot of fans panicked which understandable like fans mm-hmm. they want immediate results like they're not running the baseball team they're just a fan they don't have to worry about that kind of stuff but the, the takeaway from that is just like they, they had sort of unwavering belief in Vlad. Obviously, he had to learn some lessons along the way. I think they're happy with how he's come into camp. But, th- you know, they um, completely believe that Vlad can still be a cornerstone for this franchise, I think.
0: It's interesting because, uh, you know, uh, people who have listened to this podcast, listen to you and I speak or who read the, my newsletter know that, that I don't think it's un- it was unfair. I don't think any of the expectations on Vlad were unfair because, he, as, as you you said yourself, he earned those expectations. He it wasn't, he didn't get promoted to the, to the big leagues. If his name was Joe Smith, he hit like 380, 490, 700 or something in AAA at 19. Like that, that it's not unfair to have a high expectations of a guy. Um, and I also don't think it's, it was unfair for, to expect him to hit better than he did in the big leagues because, because, uh, uh, again, one of my very simplistic, uh, uh, truisms that I lean on heavily is hitters hit and, and great hitters hit and they're great hitters almost all the time. And he had to learn the lessons. And I think it's, it's, um, it's, that's true. And I also think that while the the Blue Jays were never disappointed or, or let down, they were not subtle about their criticisms about his, uh, physique, about his fitness and about his, his, his willingness and to, to be ready to be a big leaguer. So, so while they would say, like, we know you're going to be a great player, they were not, you know, they were, they were, these were not, not, Insults. I don't think they would put him down, but it's become clear over the last two years in particular. The many, many messages were sent quietly and, and, and very much not quietly to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. through the, the number of times they had him DHing and the move to first base and even the thing with him being getting pinch run for in the early days, which maybe was more of a Charlie Montoya thing. But, but like the messages have been sent and they've been clear and he heeded them probably because The ability, his, his hitting just wasn't, wasn't there. And, and, and those things, whether we like it or not, are, are in fact related. So it is, um, it was, it is, it is really interesting to, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that they, they believe in him and, and I, you'd be insane. You'd be a literal crazy person not to. Also, I was trying to share my screen there, but it wasn't letting because I haven't set up my preferences, but I was on your author page and then the the interview with Marshapiro was like, was like un, unhighlighted because i had in fact read it it was there there's proof i believe you you should believe me everyone should believe me and everyone should go over and read caitlin's interview with yeah there's a few
1: there's a few other nuggets which well we won't reveal because i want you to read it um
0: and i think you should yeah but let's let's play let's do one more thing okay and and again this is something that you've covered and we're talking about um uh not bad bodied but uh not selling jeans bodied individuals let's talk about roster predictions because by the time we are together again the season will be almost ready to start will it not
1: yeah we'll be on the eve of the season
0: when we are here one week from now ready to speak about the toronto blue jays do you have a sense of who and or what the roster will look like? What 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 is your prediction? Let's maybe start behind the plate. Who are going to be the two catchers on the roster when the season begins? Caitlin McGrath.
1: Well, I think if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I had a pretty <laughs> listen.
0: listen I, 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 I read the stories, but I'm not. I'm not. Don't make me listen to the podcast. All right.
1: I have had a pretty dramatic change of heart in the catching mm-hmm. position, and I decided. That Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk are your two catchers. I laid out my thinking. Mm -hmm. I also added the possibility the Blue Jays take three catchers to start the year.
0: Mm. And they try
1: to sneak Reese through waivers a few days after the season starts. Maybe teams have the roster set. They're not as able to pick up someone off off waivers I am skeptical that that'll work but I've heard the theory floated around enough that I thought maybe I should write it out see if it makes sense um I I don't I don't think it's impossible that they could do that I also think it's probably just easier to take the two best catchers on your team and just leave it at that
0: <laughs> why not um I always I come think- back to that thing that Keith Law said to us about like whether or not you think he is the kind of player who's set up to have a long and successful career. Uh, you know, get your, get your hits when you can, right? Like he, he can hit. He's proven that he can hit and, and, and don't waste it. You know, let, take advantage of that ability to, uh, to, to hit big league pitching today by letting him pick, hit big league pitching today.
1: Yeah, I think, I think most of the roster, everyone can pretty much figure it out. Um, the infield's pretty much set. I mean, if you want to talk about the guy that maybe won a job, I think Joe Panic probably got that utility job just because they liked him last year. They brought him back. They liked him enough to bring him back. Um, he plays all different positions. Um, I, actually, Charlie Montoya told me yesterday that uh, they – Are going to test him out as a catcher at a bullpen just so that he could also potentially be an emergency catcher. Um,
0: oh my god, that's grim.
1: You need an emergency catcher. Who else would it be?
0: Me, (laughs) call me up. Uh, no, that's that's not untrue. I mean, you know, you can't they can't all be Russell Martin, so that that is interesting. Emergency catcher, I I guess. Who else would it be?
1: Um. (laughs) <laughs> yeah you have to pick someone this is a terrible to say but you have to pick someone where like if they free if they were to get injured back there it wouldn't decimate your team like you're not going to send boba back there to be your emergency catcher like it usually is like the 25th or 26th man on your roster um that does it
0: if you put boba back there he wouldn't be any worse defensively than he is at shortstop <laughs> <sighs> scorching uh
1: okay so infield out, out field.
0: <laughs> I, was, I was a little surprised to see uh on your roster to see Joe Panic back there I, I don't know why I had not um resigned myself to the fact that he will be that utility guy um uh I guess Valera has not played well at all in spring is that not is that fair to say
1: yeah and, I think he uh, just hasn't done enough to maybe I think mm-hmm. Panic's actually having a fairly decent spring training mm-hmm. um And then on top of that, I think he had the advantage coming in because I think Charlie likes him. They like his experience. I like the intangibles. Um, And it's interesting. Like, I think Valera is probably still in the conversation. I think he's on the 40 man. I don't think he has options. So they might not want to lose him, but also panic is on a minor league deal. And I think his opt out is coming up imminently. So Mm -hmm. they kind of have to decide on that. So, the, the the other guy would be Espinal, but I think because he has options, he's he's a guy that you'd like to have that can move up and down in case of injury. Um
0: He's the kind of guy that you, you like to have because he is capable of playing shortstop, right? That's kind of like the table stakes for a for a utility guy it's like can they step in and play shortstop? And I don't know that you know the Blue Jays have used uh, Joe Panic, they used him a few times o- over there um, last season, but it uh, doesn't feel optimal to me. I'm always a, a big believer in like a shortstop is a shortstop and everybody else is just kind of faking it. But, uh, you know, the one thing I was going to say with Joe Panic is like, well, with Joe Panic, you know, you got a high, you maybe have a low ceiling, but a high floor. Uh, Joe Panic's floor is not high. He was like not great last year. He drew a lot of walks uh, and that's it. But like, I understand the, the the rationale that you've laid out is sound. I'm not second guessing your um, selection because I don't think that the other guys are, are Espinal and and you know the options are nice. But like, are either those two guys big leaguers? Like, they don't even. I don't know that I haven't seen enough of uh, of Valera to say that he isn't a big leaguer. I mean, that's a that's a bit of a harsh thing to say. But like, at least Joe Panic is that. Panic is a guy that you could be like, he can play in the big leagues while well, the other guys might be cups of coffee here and there. Um, for now, but uh, maybe no Richard Urania. Oh, gotta have love for Richard Urania. No,
1: yeah, hi, <laughs> <laughs> he's an he's option. He's he's an option. I mean, he's a he, warm body, he um, could make an appearance this year for sure. Um, they obviously brought him back, so they liked him. He, he I think, he left for a while. I think he was with the. Orioles, maybe he was with someone else, then he came back.
0: He Um, did leave, he was out of the organization because, and and so those are all those, those are the sort of machinations that always go into this sort of stuff. Where you, as you mentioned, like Joe Panic's not on the 40s, a non roster invitee, so might need a little bit of maneuvering to get him on or off. Um, I think I don't think Tim Mazie, he's not on the 40 man either, is he? No,
1: no, so that's that's the where, so the bullpen is the other area. Um, I mean, we'll skip... I mean, the outfield's the outfield that you we thought it was going to be. The only sort of, like, option there would be if Springer does miss, then Jonathan Davis probably slides up, which would be great mm-hmm. because he's a great dude um, and he's played really well this spring.
0: He certainly it's has. Sort of
1: a sort of a situation where, like, if the Blue Jays had a... Like, it's a situation where I think if the Blue Jays had, like, a stronger rotation, you could make the case that they could take an extra bench player and then they could take that extra outfielder. But I think with the blue Jays situation, they almost certainly need to take that extra reliever. Like they probably need to go with a nine man bullpen. They keep saying, well, we're just thinking about it. We'll we'll see. I don't know. Maybe they start with eight for the first game and then they bring up nine, but they play, they play on opening day. There's an off day and then they play 16 in a row, I believe. So they're going to need an extra arm. They're going to need several arms. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah. So, so um The bullpen is the situation where I think there's a few guys where we're still kind of guessing. Are they going to make the team? Um, Francisco Lariano, AJ Cole, um, Tim Mays you mentioned, they're all um, on minor league deals, like non-roster invitees. They all have different situations, different opt-outs, different timelines, all that kind of stuff. And they all would need to be added to the 40. Like Kirby Yates comes off, so that's an easy one. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's other... There, there's going to be some roster juggling, but these are the situations where sometimes I look at it and it looks like a puzzle and then the blue Jays announce what they do. And then they go, Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess that's what you can do. Like sometimes from like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a, a person that spent my life um, in, baseball front offices and knows every little thing about how to squeeze out a roster and, and what you, all the various little things you could do. So, um, a lot of times I'm always like, Oh, what a roster crunch. And then they do it. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. I, I guess that makes sense. Like it's, it's, it's never blows my mind as much as I think it's going to blow my mind, how they figure it out. Um, but anyway, I like,
0: I was going to say, uh, folks like us get, we can twist ourselves and contort ourselves trying to think of like these extra two clever by a half solutions when often sometimes with the roster, it's like the most obvious answer is is, yes. is, is the easiest one and the one that yeah. ends up happening. So, and you're
1: like, Oh, I didn't think of that. Like, Oh, okay. I guess you could, <laughs> you're, yeah. Oh, we could do it this way, the way that I thought, but sure, Joshi and do it your way. Like,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I, I, uh, the, the bullpen will be interesting. And, and I think. AJ Cole was definitely when when the Kirby Yates injury was announced, he seemed like the most logical sort of next man up, the guy who, who uh the Blue Jays liked and Pitt was pretty effective last year. Um, I wonder what what kind of options they do have and what they'll be able to do with Tim Mesa. I I don't I could not explain to you why. I'm just like, I like Tim Mesa. i like to see <laughs> I like him as a pitcher, I like him back there. I would like to see him make the club and Francisco Liriano as well. Obviously, a lot of Blue Jays fans have fond memories of how effectively he pitched in 2016 and don't think about anything else that happened after that, which is good. But, uh, he, he, you know, if he's able to grow into the a reliever role and, you know, the Blue Jays are, have a, have a few left-handed options. And again, if we're talking about if Mesa and Liriano get in there, um, you're talking about a lot of guys with a lot of, uh, a lot of, Big velocity and a lot of ability to, uh, to get guys to swing and miss. And, uh, that's never a bad thing. And, and another name that's on here, Julian Merriweather, who is not left-handed, but I always have to like remind myself he's got big lefty vibes, but, uh, not left-handed, but you've got yeah. him on your list.
1: Yeah. Well, so what I'll say is though, where I, where the decision is, I think, and where you're someone like Tim Meza could potentially be left off initially. It's just because I think the Blue Jays might want an extra long man in their bullpen. And I think the leading candidate for that is Trent Thornton. Mm-hmm. So if they were to do that, um, I think that you could see a scenario where potentially someone like Tim Meza, because he has options, um, is a guy that could be left off initially, but I would, I would, I think that he's performed enough this spring that he'll be an impact. He'll make an impact at some point in the season. I don't know. These are just guesses though. And I could be completely wrong. I do get the sense that the blue Jays have hinted uh, Thornton in the bullpen quite a bit lately. Like Ross said it the other day. Um, I think Pete Walker said something along the lines of like, we're trying to figure out how Trent fits in kind of thing. And he's not going to have time to, build up as a starter I think he pitched three innings his most recent outing um but I think they kind of like him as a relief option honestly and if if you're you're gonna lose stripling initially is that long guy in the bullpen you're gonna need another guy that can pitch three innings I think Merriweather can probably pitch he could probably do three like I don't know how far along he necessarily will get to by the season starts there are, there are a few guys that could probably do multi-inning. I think Thornton has the best chance to, to get up to being able to throw three innings to really bridge the gap if you do have a short start. And I think that's going to be necessary. So I, I I wonder, and this is something that I've been asking about and I wrote about a couple times at this point now, is this like what is the balance for the bullpen? Because you you don't want too many one-inning guys. And the thing with Liriano and Mesa and Cole, all of those guys are – pretty strictly one inning guys. And so I I wonder how they're going to balance that Um, because I do think they're going to need a couple guys um, that can, can throw multiple innings.
0: I I hope so. You know, frankly, I I really hope that's, that's how, the Blue Jays bullpen is is built, and 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 I hope uh, again. While I said earlier that I was hoping that uh, that maybe Ryan uh, Ryan Brokaw could be a closer, I think he again he could be a multi inning guy. I'd be surprised, you know. I mean, I guess um, Francisco Liriano's starting days are definitely behind him, as he got into uh, sixty nine games as a reliever with the Pirates in twenty nineteen, but did not pitch in twenty twenty. But uh you know, there you're you're absolutely right and the need for bulk guys and the need for guys to soak up bigger innings because uh you know even you know if there are bad starts or or whatever like even even um kenjin ryu is not like an innings pick he's a i wouldn't classify him as a five and dive but like i would be surprised if we see him pitching too often in the eighth inning this year and and uh and that's that's going to be this the story across the league i think that i'm not sure if it was um if it was a Ken Rosenthal joint or somebody that wrote it here are on the Athletic, which was about like this is unprecedented because so many teams are really going to struggle to fill up some of those innings after after the weird 2020 you know COVID season. So the Blue Jays are not unique in that, but I do think that they are uniquely positioned with a lot of depth and a lot of options. And you know as we've spoken about that, the bullpen and the the opening day roster probably won't rec- won't uh, reflect the you know September first. Or or October or October first roster, fingers crossed. But but there are there is a lot of opportunity for for different guys to do different roles and to win different jobs and to help the team win in a, in a variety of different ways. So it's exciting. It's exciting. We're almost there, Kalen. We're almost there. We're almost through cursed mini egg season. We're almost into outdoor uh, bubbly fizzy water season. I can't uh, be any more excited, as you can obviously tell. My excitement palpable palpable excitement so let's wrap this up thank you caitlin for 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 extolling us extolling knowledge upon us is that right i don't like that makes any sense uh make sure you go and read her roster predictions make sure you go and read like i did the interview with mark shapiro because i did 100 percent. don't fucking look at me like that uh and subscribe to the Athletic if you don't, and subscribe to this uh, the podcast, which is called, of course, Spin Rate, and we'll talk to you next week, right before the 2021 baseball season gets underway.